Let's turn to John chapter 15. <clears throat> if I can get organized this morning. John chapter 15, and I really just want to complete the, the study that we began last week. <clears throat> I won't take time to read the entire passage. Let's read verse 8 and then we'll pray. John 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Lord, we come to you again, thanking you for the opportunity to gather here this morning to worship you. And Lord, now as we look to your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work in our hearts, that you would work through me, that you would work in all of us, that our eyes would be open to the truth of the Scriptures, and that we would be changed by it. Lord, You are good. You are kind. We thank You for Your marvelous grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. And we're turning back to this <clears throat> illustrative teaching uh, given by Jesus about how we relate to Him as the true vine. He said in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is the last of Jesus's I am sayings. And where most of the I am sayings relate to how we come into a relationship with Jesus. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we come to this last one, he says, I am the true vine. And it's not so much about how we come into a relationship with him, but how we live in relationship with Him once we come to know Him. And the theme of the passage overall has to do with this concept of abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. And that's the command that He gives. We took note last time that in those first six verses, Jesus never once gives the command to bear fruit. The command is in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. And then he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Abiding is not merely an imitation of Christ. And we do want to imitate Christ. We look at the life of Jesus, the way he handled situations, the way he spoke to people, the way he taught, the way he carried himself, the way he resisted temptation, even the way he died. We want to imitate Jesus. But this idea of abiding in Jesus is not merely the imitation of Christ, but it is participation in Christ. Sometimes in theology, you'll hear words like monergism and synergism. Monergism has to do with this one-way act of God in salvation. Salvation you had nothing to do with. Salvation, a complete and free gift of God, a gift of grace, nothing you could ever do to contribute to it or earn it in any way. Salvation comes monergistically from God alone. However, when it comes to the part of our Christian life regarding sanctification, or relating to this passage, bearing fruit, that falls under the category of Synergism. We work together with the Holy Spirit. God is working in us and working through us. And we participate in Christ, working from His strength, and He bears fruit through us. We do have to work at our sanctification. 
Abiding in Christ does not mean just sitting back and saying, Okay, Jesus, you saved me, now make me holy. Take away my sins. Make me more like Jesus. I'm just going to live my life. No, abiding in Jesus does rest in the work of Jesus, but as God works in us, we work to become more like Him and to bear fruit. But while we work, we do have to always remember that fruitfulness depends on the vine. Remember again, verse 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Not a little something, nothing. Now if without him we can do nothing, then maybe with him we could do something. I think Paul said something along the lines of, I can do all things. And the important part of that verse isn't the all things. And for the record, all things is not a football game. I know that the locker rooms where that verse gets quoted the most, right? I can do all things, but the emphasis isn't on the all things. The emphasis is on through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things, but I can only do all things as I abide in Christ, abide in the vine. Fruitfulness depends on the vine. And as we depend on the vine, as we depend on Christ, we see a progression of fruitfulness in our lives. In this passage, we see he talks about fruit and then more fruit and then much fruit. In verse 1, he says, every, or in verse 2, he says, every branch that bears fruit. If you're a Christian, if you're a born again child of God, you will bear fruit. And when you bear fruit, he says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. As God works in our lives, as we go through trials and struggles and storms and discipline and chastening, God produces in us more fruit. And as we continue to rest in Christ, we learn to trust him, to abide in him. He does what he says in verse 5. He says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. There's a progression of holiness, a progression of sanctification, a progression of fruit bearing in the Christian life. And knowing that, we cannot neglect the warning in verse 6 that if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. He's withered. He's gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you're a true child of God, you will bear fruit. God will gradually, progressively work in you that you may bear more fruit. And if there is no fruit in your life, I'm not saying you have to be a Billy Graham or whoever, you know, out there winning thousands of souls for the Lord, but there has to be some kind of fruit. If there is no fruit, you are not a child of God. You are not in the vine. And there's that judgment that awaits and that's where we stopped last week. And so I want to give you a, the short version, if I may, of verses 7 through 17. <clears throat> but the point of the entire passage, I believe, is that verse we read to begin with, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That phrase, so you will be my disciples, can be translated, so you will prove to be my disciples. When you bear fruit, you prove that you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God produces that fruit in you, the Father is glorified. 
You see, no garden brings glory to the fruit. The fruit of the garden brings glory to the gardener. No one has ever picked a tomato off the vine and said, man, that was a nice branch that that fruit came off of. You never picked an apple off a tree and said, what a magnificent branch that produced such an apple. No, whenever you see a fruitful garden and you enjoy the fruit of the garden, you're enjoying the fruit of someone's labor and you say, you must have a green thumb. You must be an experienced gardener. And whenever our lives bear fruit, when we prove that we really are the Lord's disciples, we do not bring glory to ourselves. We don't bring glory to our good works. We bring glory to our Father who is in heaven. That's the point. That's the point of the whole thing. If you stop listening now, remember that when you bear fruit, you prove to be His disciples and you bring glory to the Father in heaven. So I left you with a question last time. What are the fruits of abiding in Jesus? What kinds of things will God produce in our lives if we are truly abiding in Him? We could consider the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7. through We could consider the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But just in this passage, I see four things. Four fruits of abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ. Number one, if you want to write these down, word-guided prayer. Word-guided prayer. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. There are two conditions to this kind of prayer. Now that's a pretty bold statement. Ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. That sounds exciting. I can ask for whatever I want, and, and God will do it? Yes, on these conditions. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Remember Psalm 1, who is the blessed man? Blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. Is the law of the Lord, is God's Word your delight? I'm not asking if you read your Bible. I'm not asking if you've, you've ever heard good preaching someplace else. I'm asking you, is the Word of God, is the law of the Lord your delight? Do you enjoy the Bible? Do you take pleasure in God's Word? That's what it means to have His Word abiding in you. You delight in it. You, you enjoy it. You spend time in it. Remember what Jesus said back in chapter 14. He said, if you will ask anything in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. To ask in Jesus' name is to come on the merits of Jesus, not on our own merits. It's to ask things in alignment with the character and the nature of Jesus. To pray for things that Jesus would pray for. If you ask anything in His name, He will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Well, how do we know what Jesus would pray? How do we pray in alignment with the character and nature of Jesus? Well, you can pray His words. You who have been here on Wednesday nights, we've been studying the model prayer, Matthew 6, Luke 11. 
Jesus told us how to pray. And when we are abiding in, resting in, depending on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when His Word abides in us, what we desire will be what He desires. And if you pray for things that God wants to do, guess what? He's going to do it. He will answer your prayers. So one of the fruits of abiding in Christ is having our prayers answered because our desires and our prayers are shaped and guided by the Word of God. That's number one. Number two, love-inspired obedience. Love-inspired obedience. Look at verse 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In our relationship with God, love and obedience are inseparable. Love and obedience can never be separated. We are as loved by Jesus as Jesus is loved by the Father. Can you imagine any other perfect relationship in all of existence than the relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son? As much as the Father loves the Son, Jesus loves you. Why would you not obey Him? If we keep His commandments, we give evidence that we are abiding in His love. You want me to tell you the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life? Now, nobody would ever say it this way, but this is kind of what it boils down to. I'm a follower of Jesus. I just don't follow Jesus. Isn't that ridiculous? Again, nobody would ever say that. Yeah, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I love God. I just don't do what the Bible says. You know, I want to tell you guys something. never told anybody this before, okay? You ready? I'm a snowboarder. You believe it, don't you? Now, I've never actually set foot on a snowboard. Never practiced. Um, I really don't even like snow all that much. I'm a snowboarder. You don't believe me? Why? Because you, <laughs> you can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't follow Jesus. No obedience, no love of God, no salvation. You're not abiding in Christ, then you're not a Christian. We have been so loved by God. And if we say that we love God, we will keep His commandments. One of the fruits of abiding in Christ is obedience to His commands, motivated by the great love that He has for us. Number three, ever-remaining joy. Ever-remaining joy. Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Praying Jesus' desires and not our own. Living a life of obedience to God and not what I want to do. 
That sounds like a dull and sad life to an unbeliever. And as much as it goes against our natural way of thinking, as contrary as it is to our natural mind, a life of obedience, a life of abiding in Christ, a life of taking joy and pleasure in the Word of God is actually not a dull and sad life, but a life of real and lasting joy. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. The joy that we have, the fruit that God produces in us of joy in Christ is the same joy that Jesus experienced. You think about that, what does Hebrews 12 say? It says that for the joy that was set before Him, that is Jesus, He did what? Endured the cross. Despised the shame. That doesn't sound very joyful. Cross Shame does not equal joy unless you're in Christ. Because now He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that we have in Jesus, joy like Jesus had, is not joy that is focused on the present, the here and now, but it's joy that looks forward to what lies hereafter. It doesn't focus on the temporal, the things that are constrained by time in this world, but it focuses on the eternal, the heavenly. It is the joy that was set before Him that He was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. And it's His joy that's in us that allows us to endure crosses and despise shame. To go through cancer and illnesses and heart problems and lung problems and whatever else. Not only does He say it's my joy, but He says it's joy... That will remain in you. It is joy that lasts despite time, despite circumstances. It's not a joy that wanes. It doesn't fade away, but it's a joy that remains. That doesn't mean that every morning you're going to wake up with laughter and a smile on your face, feeling good and happy and just thrilled about how your life is going. But this joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Even when you are sorrowful, you can always be rejoicing in Christ in whom you abide. He says it's my joy, it will remain in you, and he says that it may be full. Peter says it this way, In this you greatly rejoice, though that now for a little while, if need be, you have grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One of the fruits of abiding in Christ is joy that remains. Number four, Christ reflecting love. Christ reflecting love. Look at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, many times Jesus told His disciples that they were commanded to love one another. In this particular instance, Jesus says, As I have loved you. 
How has Christ loved us? Well, He laid down His life for us. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's Memorial Day weekend. We celebrate and remember and honor those who laid down their lives in service for their country. And that's wonderful. I'm thankful for people who have done that. But the love that Jesus shows to his friends is far greater. What does Romans 5 say? He says, for a righteous man, rarely will one die. Yet, for a good man, someone may dare to die. But God demonstrated His love for us that while we were not righteous, not good, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for me, not because of something good I could offer Him or because He knew how, how valuable I would be to His ministry, but He loved me for the low-down, rotten, wretched sinner that He knew I would be. And the low-down, rotten, wretched sinner that you are. Jesus died not for your righteousness because you have no righteousness. He didn't die for your goodness because you have no goodness. He died because He loves sinners. He laid down His life for us. He loves us as friends. Verse 14, He says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is the King over all of creation, over this entire universe. We are His subjects, His servants. He rules over us. He doesn't owe us an explanation for anything. He could have stayed up there in heaven, never let us know who He was, watched us wallow in our sin, and then send us to hell. But He says, I don't call you servants. We are His servants. Servant doesn't deserve to know anything about what's going on. But Jesus came to reveal the Father, to know us that we may know Him. And He has called us His friends. He humbled Himself. He also loved us by choice. Verse 16, He said, You did not choose Me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that, whatever, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give you. Now, in the disciples' case, yes, He chose them individually to be His disciples, to follow Him. But He didn't just choose the disciples. He chose every single one of us who believe in Him. He loved us. He chose us. We were in Him before the foundation of the world. Just read Ephesians 1. He loved us before we ever did anything to prove our worth or to prove our unworthiness. Before we could ever do anything good or bad, he said, you know what, that Jacob Hall fella, I'm going to love him. I'm going to die for him. I will forgive his sins. He chose me. Now, that's how he loved us. He says in verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. In the sacrificial, humble, choosing way, that Jesus loved us. He commands us to in turn love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We talk about sacrificial love. Usually we go to Ephesians 5 and say, yeah, husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loved the church. He laid down his life for her. 
I ought to be able to, I ought to be willing and able to take a bullet for my wife. And we'll say that and say amen. But Jesus says, love one another. We ought to love each other as the body of Christ in that kind of way. We love each other not as servants but as friends. We all not look down on one another because we see ourselves as more spiritually mature or in a higher standing as a believer. But we ought to humble ourselves and love one another as Christ has loved us. He loved us as He chose us and we must choose to love some people. Some people it comes easy and natural and we say, oh, they're so lovable. I love being with that person. But sometimes you have to choose to love someone. These things I command you that you love one another. One of the fruits of abiding in Christ is that we love one another just as Christ loved uh, so what are these fruits that Jesus mentions of abiding in the vine? One, word-guided prayer. Two, love-inspired obedience. Three, ever-remaining joy. And four, Christ-reflecting love. Again, you cannot produce these things on your own. You must be in the vine. You must abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you maybe are not seeing this fruit in your life because you are not a branch that is in the vine. You need to experience this love from God before you can turn and love anyone else. Because Christ died for you, He has called you His friend. He chose you. He died for you when you were still a sinner. And if you will confess your sins, repent, and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, He will save you, He will forgive you, He will remove your guilt, and He will grant you everlasting life. No one else can do that for you. You can't do it for yourself. You're just a dead branch laying out in the middle of the road that will never bear any fruit unless you are grafted into the vine that is the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the fruits of abiding in the vine. Let's pray together. Would you please stand with me as they come and we'll sing a closing song. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for your word, for your Holy Spirit that dwells in us, and for the work you are doing in us. Lord, sometimes the growth seems slow. We don't see the fruit we desire, Lord, but if we trust in you, we know that you are working in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our eternal souls and our salvation. And God, we trust you with the life here and now, being purified and made holy and more like the Lord Jesus until the day we see you face to face. And Lord, we look forward to that day. If someone here doesn't know you, I pray that they would be born again even today. In Jesus' name, amen.